Look around, what do you see? Cars, lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, did somebody say solar-powered, eco-friendly, vegan, leather-wrapped, aromatherapy-scented, disco ball-equipped, self-driving car? If you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. Big cars, small cars, blue cars, new cars, used cars, electric cars, and one day, maybe even flying cars. With millions of options to choose from, buying a car becomes a whole lot easier. See it. Find it. Auto Trader. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody, it's Josh, and Chuck is here in spirit, too. And we just wanted to drop a casual reminder that we are going to have a swinging Pacific Northwest swing this coming February, and tickets are now on sale. February 1st, we'll be at the Moore Theater in Seattle. February 2nd, we'll be at Revolution Hall in Portland. And on February 3rd, for SF Sketchfest, we'll be at the Sydney Goldstein Theater. Go check out all of our social medias for more information and links to tickets. And we'll see you in February. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's hanging out, too. So that makes us the good old-fashioned Stuff You Should Know episode. Old school, top ten of dish. Yeah, do you think we'll actually make it through ten of these? I might not. Maybe you'll you'll do all ten. <laughs> I'll keep going <laughs> after you log off. How about that? Uh, yeah, we could probably get through all ten of these. They're, they're pretty uh, it's contained. We'll see. Let's just start at the beginning. I just want to make sure that we hit the last one, number one, for sure, okay? Let's do it then. All right. What are we talking about even? Well, we're talking today about cases of mistaken identity, as anyone who read the title of this episode or maybe even the synopsis could tell you. Right. And we talked a lot, Chuck, in our uh, doppelganger episode, which hopefully came out before this episode or else people won't know what we're talking about. We talked a lot about some of this stuff, which is like, you know— Terrible things can happen if somebody mistakes you for somebody else. Um, and that even in, in the age of facial recognition technology, and yeah. genetic testing, um, that stuff can still happen. And because of our faith in things like facial recognition programs and DNA testing, if, if you do come up with a, a, a mistaken identity case, it makes it much harder to be believed when you're like, I swear to God, it wasn't me. Because people say, we've got your DNA, man, and it's a match. It was you. You're just fibbing. Yeah, and I think it gets a lot more interesting when you're talking about uh, mistaken identity for a crime that has been committed. Yeah, totally. So I already want to skip this first one. Can we? All right. Sure, let's do it. Um, <laughs> and we'll go instead to uh, grand old Israel, where there was a uh, an Australian expat named Nicole McCabe, who'd been living there for years, was married. She was six months pregnant at the time that this happened in 2010. Yeah, and very key. Yes. And apparently she um, was watching the news, the local news in Israel, and um, saw that there was uh, a, an assassination of one of the Hamas chiefs, Mahmoud al-Mabu. Uh, Mabu, 
That's what I'm going with. Sure. Mabu? <laughs> yeah, Mabu. M-A-B-H-O-U-H. How else are you going to say that? That's how I would say it. So um, he was assassinated in Dubai, and the Dubai authorities were looking for 26 people, and one of them was Nicole McCabe, and she knew they were looking for her because they showed her passport on television. That's right. So she was like, what is going on? WTF. (laughs) So it turns out that if you are uh, in Israeli intelligence uh, agency, Mm -hmm. and it's called Mossad, you can say, hey, I want to use real identities as a cover. So instead of like making up a false identity as a cover for their agents, they use real identities, and they basically use the identities of of foreigners living in Israel. Yeah. And all 26 of these Westerners, evidently, and, and this is why they were suspected, is because they were real identities used by Mossad as cover uh, that were real people, and they just basically lifted their information from government databases. It's not like she yeah. lost her her uh, license and her passport and stuff like that. They just took it, basically, and said sorry. Except they didn't say sorry. They didn't even say sorry. They just did it. And that's so, like, insidious that apparently the the one some of the um, 26 expats living in Israel were Brits. And the U.K. expelled the highest-ranking Mossad agent from the Israeli embassy as a result of this. It's just like you don't do that. And apparently that was, like, standard procedure for the Mossad. So Nicole McKay, being an Australian, was expecting that Australia would help her out of, like, this legal jam that she had been gotten into. And they were like, how about we just give you another passport? And she said, is that it? And they said, yeah, that's it. But you should probably take it because you're going to be on every single watch list in the yeah. world now using From your old one. passport. Just go with a new one. Do the smart thing, McCabe. And she said, crikey, let's go. <laughs> now, this is in 2010. I wonder if they've stopped using real identities because that just seems like a recipe for trouble. It definitely does. And it's one of those things that was like super reported on and then never reported on right. again. So I didn't see any follow-up stuff, but it was widely reported on in different outlets uh, about it. And it wasn't just the same story over and over again. It was it was investigated, but n- there wasn't a lot of follow-up. Yeah. Uh, all right, moving on to the next one, number eight or number two, depending on how you want to number these. Sure. This was a case of mistaken identity that also was the case of someone else having that same name as well, which is, uh, we talked a little bit about this, uh, someone else, I think, in the, oh, no, I don't think that anyone had the same name in the Doppelganger episode, did they? No. No. I don't think so, but that was the case with Will West in uh, New York about the turn of the 20th century. Yeah, he was um, brought up on charges of manslaughter and taken to Leavenworth Prison um, to be, um, what's it called when they induct you? It's not induct. And, um, like identify you? I guess when they book you, process yeah, you. Pr- procedurally check you in? Sure, that's <laughs> what we'll go with. It's better than induction, I'll tell you that. Um, and he said, I've never been here before. I've never been in trouble with the law before. Uh, and as part of standard procedure, they followed the um, uh, Bertillon um, process of measuring your head, your face, the distance between your eyes, the length of your nose, the width from ear to ear, all this different stuff. It's a form of what's called uh, anthropometry. Anthropometry. 
No, I'm going with anthropometry. <laughs> and we talked about it before, I think, in the forensics episode, probably the fingerprinting episode. Yeah. It was the way that you distinguished one person from another, usually criminals, before we relied on fingerprints. And apparently it worked really well because it was so granular and so detailed. And so they took Will West's measurements and they said, you know what? We found somebody with the exact same measurements as you. Right. So you have the same name. You have nearly identical measurements according to this French uh, police procedure mm -hmm. of, of identifying people. Um, you look like them in the photograph. It's not just that your head measures out the same. Mm -hmm. And so we think we've got you, buddy. And he's like, it's not me. I promise you. And as it turns out, uh, the real William West was already in Leavenworth, mm -hmm. already serving a life sentence for murder. Mm -hmm. And even though fingerprinting wasn't widespread, uh, they were able to use in the early days of fingerprinting um, their fingerprints to to right this wrong. Yeah. Um, and some people have speculated that these guys were actually, like, related somehow, maybe even twins that were pulling a scam. Um, but as far as anyone officially knows, they were essentially doppelgangers that happened to have the same name. And they looked so much alike. If you look at pictures of them, like, they were clearly doppelgangers. Um that Will Will West, when he was being booked, they showed him the, the pictures from the past booking. Uh -huh. And he said, yeah, that's me, but I don't know where you got that photo. Like, yeah. that's how much it looked like <laughs> him. He thought it was a photo of himself. So they ended up um, moving to fingerprints. I think the warden of Leavenworth stopped using the Bertillon um process like the next day essentially and oh, moved really? to fingerprints instead because yeah because everyone thought the Bertillon um, process was like unassailable and then right. this showed no there's a problem and fingerprints got got us out of this jam so let's just all move to fingerprints from that point on yeah the headline headline the next day said Bertillon process assailable exclamation point <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Clark says fingerprints rule <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, you're Clark. I got that now. It took me sure, a second. Sure. That's all <laughs> I was right. like, who's Clark? <laughs> uh, all right, now we can move on <laughs> to the case of, uh, well, three gentlemen. Uh, there was a bad guy who committed crimes under the mm -hmm. names John Smith and a much more fancy-pants name, Lord Wilton de Willoughby. Nice. Uh, and it seemed like this guy, and for about... Uh, geez, for almost 20 years, was bilking women out of their jewelry by, uh, I guess, writing bad checks. He was a, a con man and a thief. And a man, a man named Adolf Beck was uh, mistaken for this man. And it wasn't just the case of, oh, you look like him, oh, we booked you, but hey, we cleared it up. This mm -hmm. guy did hard time, seven years in prison. Yeah. Yeah, so um, apparently Lord Wilton de Willoughby's scam was he would find a woman, say that he was looking for a mistress, and I think you'll do just fine. You like me? I like you. Um, and, hey, that jewelry you're wearing is kind of shabby. Why don't you give it to me, and I will take it and use it for size to get you some very nice jewelry. Um, and then he just wouldn't return the jewelry. And it was such a petty crime. This wasn't nice jewelry. Like, he must have taken tens of dollars worth of jewelry. But he did it very frequently. He was convicted and put in prison in 1877. 
of the exact same crime was carried out in 1896 by him, but it just so happened that Adolf Beck was fingered for that crime. And they were like, you you are the same man who was convicted in 1877, and we know it. And he said, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And they didn't listen to him. Like you said, he did hard time, like for years. Yeah, for seven years. And he had a lot of evidence to prove that it wasn't him. He was like, hey, I was in Peru mm-hmm. during this initial crime, and I can prove that. Right. And he said, also... Uh, I'm not circumcised. Take a look at this. And everyone <laughs> went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey, hey. No, 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 no. He said, this uh, is important. Stop being childish. <laughs> well, but that's true. He was not circumcised. Apparently, uh, I mean, who was the real name? I think maybe Frederick Meyer. I saw that. I saw William Thomas, William Wyatt. I'm not sure. It, most people just refer to him as John Smith. John Old Circumcised Smith. <laughs> So, uh, 15 convictions, seven years in prison, and it gets worse. He finally gets out of prison for a crime he didn't commit. Mm -hmm. He's in his, I think he's 60 at this point. Mm -hmm. And old Lord Willoughby was still going to work, and this guy got convicted again for the same guy's crime. Yeah, so somebody, luckily, a journalist at the Daily Mail had taken an interest in this and was like, this is a gross miscarriage of justice. Like, it, th- it's been documented this is not the same guy for years, and they're going after him again. So he turned public um, opinion against the, the crown and basically pointed to the to the prosecutor and said, this man is— to his penis. <laughs> right. He said, this man is not—, not not only incompetent, he's almost a fraud. He's such a bad lawyer. Yeah. Um, and we should release this guy. So not only did they release him, the Crown gave him a $5,000 compensation. Fi- I'm Pounds. sorry, 5,000 pound compensation. Yeah. I, Chuck, not only did I do the uh, inflation calculator for pounds, I converted <laughs> it to dollars. All right, let's hear it. So in 1900, 5,000 pounds was worth about 683,000 pounds today. <laughs> And if you convert that to dollars today, he got $787,000. Hey, that's about a hundred grand a year for being in prison. I get the impression he wasn't a bad guy from what I saw, but he um, was not a magnet for money. Apparently, he he did not die um, with any money. I'm going to just say it. I know how much you hate it. He died penniless. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the upshots of this is a direct result of this mis- miscarriage of justice from just mistaken identity. Um, the British Court of Appeals was established like right. three years after he was um, convicted the last time. Well, and it became sort of a, hey, eyewitness, because I think 16 people identified him and it sort of became a, hey, this reliability of eyewitnesses is not something we could really lean into all the time. Yeah, 16 people. He really did look a lot like him, but, I mean, come on. There's got to be something like, like you come can't on. read a genuine protestation from an innocent person. Let's let's open our eyes a little bit here, people, okay? Yeah, and open your pants and just check out the penis. That would have solved it once <laughs> and for all. Right. Well, they were just so uh, prude, I guess. They wouldn't even look at that very clear evidence. I mean, they were Victorian, Chuck. All right, should we take a break? Yeah, I got to say, I'm having a lot of fun here, but I do think we should take a break at this point. Okay, let's do it. D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old... Oh, yeah, yeah. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to, where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation, so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second grade teacher, and written by my husband, Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. 
this one is a little uh, sad on a lot of levels. Yeah. Um, this was a, a medical identity theft. And by the way, this we want to thank our old uh, – if we're doing a top ten, chances are it's from our old friends at HowStuffWorks.com because we and used to write a lot of those. This one specifically is by Nicholas Gerbis or Gerbis. I don't know how you pronounce his name, but I think he did a bang-up job on this one. Bang-up job. Uh, so this is a case of Anne Durie Sachs. Uh, who lived in Salt Lake City, Utah, was a mm -hmm. mom, mm -hmm. had four kids, and um, all of a sudden uh, was reported that her newborn child, uh, under her name, tested positive for illegal drugs, which is a problem for that mom. Uh, and she's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, listen, I got four kids, but I don't have a newborn, and I certainly don't have a newborn that tested positive for drugs. Myth, no less. Um, so... Not only was the newborn tested positive for meth, the newborn had been abandoned by the mother, who had also split with a $10,000 medical bill. Addicts her baby to meth, uh, abandons the baby, doesn't pay a $10,000 bill. So, of Very course, sad. the hospital's like, you're a crook, and we're not going to listen to anything you said. The, the, the woman's like, no, I swear to God, it was not me. And it finally turned out that a drug-addicted um, uh, woman had broken into Andori Sachs's car, got her ID, which is a lesson, never leave your, li your license in your car. That's just a bad idea all around. Yeah. True. Got her medical records and then went and gave birth as Andori Sachs and ultimately apparently amended Andori Sachs' medical history um, with with this, this information that may or may not have been purged. Yeah, so, you know, who knows what uh, this imposter reported about their medical history, but Sachs can't find out because there are laws, privacy laws that prevent uh, the records from being shown, even to her. Mm -hmm. So basically, she has uh, she has to always sort of be on the lookout for this. She has in real life a clotting disorder uh, in her blood, and if she's given the wrong blood type, she could die. So she doesn't really even know what's in there for what kind of blood type she has on her medical record. So uh, now Andrea Sachs has to be just really careful and I guess proactive anytime she goes to the hospital or doctor. Yeah. The whole thing's called medical identity theft. This happened in, I think, 2010-ish, and it was like a super scary 2010 thing to happen. But apparently it was happening at the time fairly frequently, enough that they interviewed a couple other people, and they were like, man, if this happens to you, you are on your own. Yeah. Because not only is the hospital not helping you, they sick um, basically billing investigators to find out what's going on. And they interviewed Andori Sachs's, like, children to find out, had mommy been pregnant recently? Um, they would not believe her. They just, they, they did not take her word for it. And it wasn't until she um, took a DNA test to prove, like, this is not my child. They Do finally started first. to back off. Yeah, you know, exactly. I wonder yeah. if you could, like, demand that first rather than putting your family through all that, you know? I think so. You just show up with a Ziploc bag of blood at the investigator's <laughs> office and be like, test this. You just <laughs> plunk it down on the desk in front of them. Or just spit at them and say, collect this. <laughs> there you go. Oh, boy, Chuck, that turned dark pretty fast, but I liked it. <laughs> well, that whole story was dark. It's very it's just a heartbreaking situation all the way around. I've got a little positive spin for you then. Oh, okay. Uh, at the end of the article I read... No, this is a different article. Apparently, the mother, um, the actual, like, biological mom who had abandoned her kid got let out of jail because she pled guilty to some other stuff and did some time and, like, did her time. 
But Andori Sachs was interviewed uh, when asked how she felt about it. And she said, if the use of my ideas would allow that baby a chance to survive, wow. then it's worth it to me. Wow. I thought you were going to say that, you know, the biological mom turned her life around and reclaimed the baby. And No, don't be that, naive. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, how about this? Number five, or we skipped one, so number four. Six. Six? <laughs> How can we be this bad at this? I don't know. Math has this many never years been our in. friend. Uh, in 2003, uh, the cops in Britain said, we would very much like to arrest you, Peter Hampton, and that's how we do things over here if we're cops, because <laughs> yeah. we think you've murdered someone. We're not going to pull a gun on you, but we're just going to ask you very kindly to come with us. Uh, we think you murdered, murdered a woman in Italy last year, in 2002. Mm-hmm. You matched the description of the person, and you're coming with me, but this bartender was like, i never been to Italy. <laughs> and they're like, you sound like you have been. As a matter of fact, you sound like you're from Italy, friend. He said, but it's a not a true. <laughs> so this bartender, what was his name? Um, Peter Hampkin, I believe. Yeah, Hampkin. He was like, "What? you guys have never been to Italy. I certainly wasn't there when this, this murder happened. They said, okay, not only do you look just like the description of the guy that we're looking for, we're going to take your blood and, oh, yeah, you're a match, my friend. You're a match to this, uh, I guess, the evidence that had been found on the scene. And um, Peter Hampton was suddenly in a lot of trouble despite the fact that it was not him. And this is where we reached kind of like the, the beginnings of the true dystopian um, mistaken identity stuff. Yeah, this one, I don't, I mean, I understand it in a way, mm-hmm. but here's how it works. If you are using DNA databases to match someone, mm-hmm. it is going to compare um, subsites on the strand that are called locus or together they're called Loki. And that's just like, I've seen it described as showing like the genes neighborhood. It's the physical location of the gene on a chromosome. Okay. And depending on where you are and what lab you are and where you are in the world, you might use a different, a certain amount of these loci as identifiers. Uh, in the States, I think the FBI uses 13. Uh, in the UK, it is 10. Mm-hmm. And apparently that uh, you can like make mistakes. Like I thought DNA was the gold standard. Yeah. And, and reading this, it seems like if you're just looking at as low as six Loki for a match, then that's a can be a real problem. It certainly can. I think they thought before that nine gave you a one in 113 billion chance of a, a false positive. But apparently people looked into it and they're like, where did you get that evidence, FBI? And they were like, we don't have to tell you, be quiet. Um, so no one's entirely certain what um, the, the actual chance is, but the the basis you said DNA was the gold standard. It totally is for forensics, and the chances are really really small that there would be a false match using standard search procedures because they're looking at. I think you said thirteen. I believe they've upped it to twenty In America. now. Yeah. Okay. They've upped it to 20. There's 20 sites that they say these Loki, these Loki are going to be the ones that we check. And you can have a minimum when you, like, if you arrest somebody right. and you take their blood, you work up a DNA profile of that person. You have to have at least a minimum of those 20 covered, preferably up to 20 for your for your profile. And then the more you have and the more you match with the 20 loci, the less of a chance you have of a false positive. But it can happen. And I think the point of the people who are saying, like, 
um, we need to talk about this, that there can be false positives, is because if you are on a jury, especially if you watch a lot of CSI or Law and Order, you're like, right. oh, you got DNA evidence? It's over for you, pal. Right. And the <laughs> idea that it could be wrong is just out the window. And they're like, we need to train the public and juries better than this because they think it's, it's again, unassailable. Right. But the idea is you can always get way more granular with your DNA uh, peekaloo. <laughs> and 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 really find out the truth, though, right? Well, that's how Peter Hampkin finally got off. That bartender that kicked this whole thing off, he they did a, a further DNA profile of him, and they're like, oh, okay, it's not you. Because the chances of somebody having those same mutations, they, they look at short tandem repeating um, snippets, which are non-protein coding sequences, which means, like, it doesn't matter if they mutate a lot. So they mutate a lot. So the chances of you having the same mutation in all 20 of those is vanishingly small. And even in all eight of them is pretty small, enough that it is still the gold standard. It's just if you get caught and you have money for a good lawyer, you can be like, you need to do a better profile, and then they'll find that it's not actually you. Right. And, of course, I use Peekaloo. That's not the official language they use for looking at DNA. That's Peekaboo. Right. I use the slang. Uh, okay. All right. I think we do one more, then we take our other break. How about that? Oh, okay. I'm still having a lot of fun here, Chuck. Okay, good. Um, all right. So I guess we're on the, either number four or number three and number five or number 17. six. <laughs> uh, there was a, a interesting case of mistaken identity, in, um, which turned out to be a sibling in mm-hmm. Alaska. Police had a sexual assault case, and it was they had a semen sample. They had usable DNA. They had a DNA match. This guy was already in the system, so they thought, like, all right, this is an open and shut case, except one problem. This guy is was in jail already when the crime was committed, so what are we going to do? Yeah, this one was incredibly fascinating. I think this Alaskan... Um uh, DNA analyst or forensic analyst, like r- like went around the country giving talks on this case and really opened people's eyes because it turned out that the guy who was in prison, whose DNA matched the semen on the crime scene, I guess, um, had gotten a bone marrow transplant from his brother, and because of that, he was carrying around his brother's DNA in his blood because. When you get a bone marrow transplant, you're getting uh, like a red blood cell, um, stem cell transplant, and those things turn into red blood cells, and they test your blood. So whatever DNA your blood has is what they come back with on the DNA profile. I wonder if the other brother immediately was like, mm, "You're looking for my brother," because <laughs> like <laughs> maybe it sounds like the brother, you know, the other brother was not a good guy. Obviously, uh, I mean, clearly, if he committed sexual assault, but if he was already in jail. For something else, then it sounds like good good brother, bad brother scenario. No, they were both sexual assaulters. The one was already in jail for it. The one who actually did it had not been caught yet. They thought that the guy who was oh. in jail already was the perp for the outside one. And it turned out, no, okay. there was a whole family of sexual assaulters. This, this makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. I, I get it. Okay. All right. I mean, it made sense before, but this this makes such glorious sense. Then, 
I feel like the blinders are off. So um, this really is like uh, enough of a thing that that forensic analyst from Alaska who discovered this, because at first they were like, well, the lab obviously made a right. mix up. And they looked in there like, what is going on here? They started looking into it more and they're like, this could be a thing, actually. We need to let the law enforcement know, like, there's a thing that happens when you get a bone marrow transplant. Your DNA changes. And they, there was a guy named Chris Long on a, um, I read about in an IFL science article. Um, and they tested him four years after he'd gotten a, um, a transplant from a donor in Germany who he'd mm-hmm. never met, I don't believe. And his DNA in different parts of his body were entirely the donors, including, wow. get this, Chuck, his semen had, had nothing but his donor's DNA. So if he fathered a child... Whose kid would that be? Because the kid would have the same DNA as the donor, not him, his dad. Um, well, it would it, be his kid still. Legally, it would be his kid, but biologically, wouldn't it be the German donor's child? I don't know. I think there's an old saying about that, like whoever smelt it dealt it, but I, <laughs> I can't quite work it out. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of rhymes I'm trying not right. to say out loud right now. <laughs> Two bad brothers, man. I just, that was sitting there right in front of my face. Yeah. Well, so they both went to jail, right? Yeah, I believe the Alaska forensic analyst got them, nabbed their person. Sweet. Is it time for that break now you promised? Yeah, I'm going to go ruminate on that justice served, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. 
Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I guess we should say, Chuck, if you're out there in podcast land listening to us and you didn't actually have to hear an ad, give us a double toot. Toot, toot. You know, there was a, <laughs> an emailer, I think he, he bothered me several times with his email, uh-huh. that trying to convince us that we were in podcast land. Because we used to say that out there in podcast land. Right. And this guy ruined it. We just quit saying it because he was like, you, in fact, are in podcast land. I uh, I kind of get where that guy's coming from. Uh, was that you? <laughs> Maybe. That's weird. You signed your name as uh, Jean Jean Paul Dusseldorf. <laughs> Eight three six seven at Hotmail. What? I don't get that one. That was who who sent it in. John, oh, okay. John Paul Eight three six seven at Hotmail dot com. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. That was their email. Can we talk about these twins? <laughs> sure. Um, because apparently in real life, Chuck, twins actually get out of criminal prosecution because they say, Not, oh, it was me. It was my identical twin. Yeah, I don't see how this is. I mean, can't they do more work to arrest somebody for a crime when they know it's one of the two? No. All right. Well, this happened in Germany. <laughs> uh, a, a big department store in uh, in Europe is the Kaufhaus uh, des Westens. Nice. And in January 2009, um, there were three people who broke into one of these department stores. They were smart. They wore masks. They wore latex gloves. They stole close to $7 million in jewelry. Yeah. Uh, but one of them left one of their gloves behind, and they did a DNA test on the sweat inside the glove, 
Gross. And they had two matches of these two identical twins, uh, Hassam and Abbas. Uh, and Germany doesn't give last names, so their last initial was O. O'Reilly. And, and yeah, <laughs> Hassam O'Reilly. And they basically did what you said. Well, these 27-year-old twins were like, um, wasn't me. And the other one said, wasn't me. And they let them go. They did. And I just wanted to give a shout-out to this group uh, who um, I'm not like a, a, a um, an admirer of criminals or anything like that. But I read Chuck. They did, like, real great Muppet caper stuff and, like, slid down ropes coming from the skylights to do this robbery. It wasn't like a smash and grab. It uh, was, they had finesse, at least. Right. <laughs> okay. M- Movie-style rob- robbery. So, so yeah, exactly. So, in Germany, um, they like you can't just lock up both people because one of them might be innocent. And if you have to make that decision under German law and the same thing in America, um, you can't lock up innocent people. And it's better to let a criminal go free than to lock up an innocent person. That's the trade-off that we have. And it, it's not just happened uh, in Germany with the O'Reilly brothers. Um, it's happened around the world in other places, too. Yeah, uh, I think in Malaysia in 2009, there were identical twins who um, were narcotics traffickers, and they had a death sentence, Yeah, but they couldn't prove who was who. Um, here's my thing, and I, I agree with due process. Yeah. But I think if you strong arm them a little bit. <laughs> Smack think, them around with the rubber hose? <laughs> no, nothing like that. But like, hey, one of you is going to go to prison. And we'll flip a coin. We'll flip a, a, a Deutschmark. I still got one in my pocket from the old days. Sure. Uh, and and one of you's going to go to jail. I think they could pressure them into one of them. Like they got to really be in unison. You know, one of them would eventually crack the person who didn't do it or you did do it. So, but the thing is, is I mean, we're talking about twin siblings here. I mean, if they've got resolved to not rat the other one out, uh, I guess if it worked anybody in high school, does, yeah. they've got it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sure if both of them know, heck, both of them might have been there. It was three three robbers, so two of them might have been the twins. They just oh, could point. not say which one they that was definitely there, so they said no. And yeah, I mean, if you have no other evidence, what can you do? What can you do, Hotshot? Smack him around with a rubber hose. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> You'd be like, by Dusseldorf, you will crack. <laughs> uh, all right. So I think we got a couple of more. We just had a brief, this is how the sausage is made, a brief <laughs> off-mic convo. Yeah, I went, We're going to circle back to the original one that I wanted to skip at the end. Okay. Because Josh is in love with it. I love it. He wants to marry it. He's so in love. <laughs> I'm already married, Chuck. <laughs> we're skipping. Uh, I wonder if anyone ever goes to see what we skipped. No one cares. Uh, I'll bet there's some army members. They're like, uh, listen up, everybody. I'll t- right. I got the dirt on the ones. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs> All right. So we're going to finish. Uh, or do you want to finish with the, the one I didn't like? And then. Yeah. Because you really wanted to do number one. Yeah, we have to, man. It's the most astounding case of mistaken identity in recent memory. All right, so let's do it right this second. Okay, go now. <laughs> so this was a case, jeez, uh, it's both sad and uplifting, kind of depending on whose mm-hmm. family you're in. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was a very tragic day in 2006. I kind of remember this happening. Me too. Um, there was a, uh, a semi-truck driver who in April of that year, like I said, fell asleep at the wheel crossed a median and crashed into a university van uh, from Taylor University that had nine people 
in the in the van, and it was a very bad crash. It killed five, uh, I think, all students, but five people. Mm-hmm. And it was just you know people were flung all over the place. Their stuff was flung all over the place, uh, and it was obviously a, a mess of a scene of an accident scene. And two young women got mistaken for one another in a very tragic way. Yeah, so I guess um, uh, Whitney Cernak um, had her, she was basically bundled up onto a stretcher and um, medevaced out by helicopter. But the first responder who put her on the stretcher uh, had grabbed an ID of a, another girl who was in the van that looked a lot like her, especially, I'm sure, at night under crazy circumstances like that. And the ID went to Laura Van Rin. And while Whitney Serac was alive, Laura Van Rin was dead. But people now thought that this person who was bloodied, beat up, um, whose face was swollen and would soon be bandaged for weeks was Laura Van Rin when, in fact, it was Whitney Serac. Yeah, so, boy, this one is, um, like I said, very, very bad news for one family and very good news for another in that one family thought their daughter was alive and she had passed and the other way around. So uh, it, it's just, this this one's a tough one to even think about uh, how someone gets through something like this. Uh, in true movie fashion, um, in, inconsistencies sorted to kind of pile up as she recovered yeah. and people were sort of suspicious of what was going on. And finally someone asked her to write her name and she wrote down Whitney. Uh, it's just, it's a moment like, you know, it's a pretty chilling moment. It's a movie moment for goodness sake. Like yeah, the yeah, whole it thing really is, is, it's crazy because I mean, in the meantime, like Laura's family were the ones who were at Whitney's bedside as she recovered for weeks in the hospital, um, and, like, they had had a funeral service for Whitney. So her family was just now coming to terms with her, with the fact that she was dead yeah. when they found out that, no, she's alive. And Laura's family, who'd been, like, hoping that their child was recovering, now found out that their child was dead. Like, it's just mind-boggling that this actually happened somewhere yeah. in Michigan, no less. Yeah, very, very sad case. Yeah. Uh, but we don't want to leave you with a sad case, right? No, that's why we're going looping <laughs> back to do number one, which is actually number nine. Number 10, <laughs> which is number nine. Right. Oh, boy. Uh, this is about Peter Sellers, who uh, somehow was mistaken for Woody Allen early in his career a couple of key times. They're famously um, doppelgangers. I know. They don't look much alike. A couple of things I'll attribute it to is Woody Allen looked um, when he was younger. He, you know, he looked different than you might think of him now. First mm-hmm. of all, mm-hmm. uh, and Peter Sellers was a was a sort of man of a thousand faces as an actor. He was well known for doing disguises, doing accents. No one ever knew who the real Peter Sellers was. Right. Um, fascinating dude. Uh, very troubled. Not too great guy in real life, but. Uh, I'm a huge Peter Sellers fan and like read biographies on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But that's what he was known for is is looking like other people. So it's no surprise that maybe he would get confused with someone else. I'm a David Niven guy, by the way. I love David Niven. So apparently on the, the set of Casino Royale, um, Leo Jaffe, who's the head of Columbia Pictures, the studio making the movie at the time, which is I think 1967 is when that movie was made. Yeah. Mm, sounds right. 
And it was based on the Ian Fleming novel, Casino Royale. It was a James Bond movie, but it was a horror show. It was so poorly conceived and made that they had five directors, um, each shooting different parts of the movie, each working with different James Bonds, David Niven, Peter Sellers, Woody Allen, I don't know who else was there. Um, And then each of the directors didn't know what the other one was doing. And then they put it together and thought it was going to be a good idea. But even before then, um, they had bigger problems on their hands because Leo Jaffe was talking to who he thought was Woody Allen, when Mm -hmm. in turn it was actually (laughs) Peter Sellers. And um, he started complaining about Peter Sellers to Woody Allen, who was, in fact, actually Peter Sellers. That's right. And... I'm just now looking at a picture of Peter Sellers from the late 60s. And with the horn rim glasses, he and Woody Allen, I can see it a little bit, I guess. Especially if you're a studio exec who couldn't sure. care less. Like yeah. all the actors are just like cattle to you with the, yeah. or cash registers as well, you know. Uh, this happened again on the set of What's New Pussycat. Uh, and at this point, Sellers was pretty annoyed uh, that this kept happening and that he was you know, he was a big star at that time, and Woody Allen was kind of just getting started. So, right. uh, and he had quite an ego, so he was none too pleased. Yeah. So, if you read um, write ups on um, Casino Royale, the 1967 version, people are just like, this was a legendary catastrophe, which are some yeah. of the most fun movies to read about. Those in Stanley Kubrick films are, and Lars von Trier films are the most enjoyable to read about because people are just agog for one reason or another about what their their subject is. Agog? Mm-hmm. Great word. I think so too, man. I've been peppering really great words throughout this episode, if you ask me. <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> you got anything else? You want to talk about some more stolen identity or mistaken identity stuff? Nah. All right, let's not then. Um, if you want to know more about uh, mistaken identities, you can check out this article on how stuff works. And since Chuck said, nah, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm just going to read the first thing I saw because I didn't have one prepared. <laughs> oh. And this is called uh, Chuck's Rope Trauma. Oh, oh uh, yeah. Hey, guys, I'm imagining we're going to play this out for years. Hey, guys, I'm imagining Chuck at a rough go at practicing shibari on himself. Hmm. Uh, I'm sure hoping this is true so we can get a future topic on the art of shibari. Isn't that Love like a BDSM show. thing? I don't know. I, should I'm I look it up? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, I think it's rope binding for sexual pleasure. Oh, Japanese bondage. Yep. Okay. Boy, I just I just know that like in the back of my head, <laughs> apparently. I love it. No these pictures reason. are, uh, yeah, these pictures are interesting. So, Chuck, answer the question. Is that where you got your rope trauma? No, it wasn't mm-hmm. Shibari, unfortunately. That seems like a lot more fun than what happened to me. Okay. Um, but this is from Ryan. Loves his show. Listen to every episode. And Ryan works in a diesel shop. Mm-hmm. Diesel like the clothing line? No, for over-the-road trucks. Okay. Which I don't even know what that means. Is that like a long-haul trucker probably? Over? No, I think it's like a flying truck. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should leave be? that in there, hey, Momo. Yeah, Mo just parked everybody. Uh, it's nice to keep my mind active while I'm mindlessly wrenching on bolts all day. And that is from Ryan Schmidt in Waterloo, IA. Uh, Waterloo, Idaho? IA, where is that? <laughs> That's Iowa. Yeah. I just wanted to rib the Iowans and the Idahoans. Uh, and that was Ryan? That's Ryan. Thanks a lot, Ryan. That was a good question. Uh, so, Chuck, do you want to share now what the rope trauma was? 
No, I think I literally think we should play this out for years. Man, so I was I talking to funny. one of my one of my friends and neighbors, Wesley, and he had just heard the episode about Mallory today and was like, "So, so what was it? What happened to Chuck?" I was like, "He won't <laughs> tell me. He could not believe that you didn't actually tell me." I was like, "I don't know any more than anyone else." So, oh, we got a genuine internet mystery then. I love it. Yeah, it's a genuine one. Uh, if you want to send us a guess at what happened to Chuck with the rope, you can already cross Shibari off of the list. Uh, you can send it in an email to stuffpodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.